Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we aim to inspire you, to connect you with like-minded colleagues, to innovate and push you out of your comfort zone, to create robust debate, to encourage lifelong learning, and to empower you to create more impact as a dietitian. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where you're listening today. I'm recording this from the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and I'd like to extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast. I'm Jane Winter from Dietitian Connection, and I am an accredited practicing dietitian. This podcast episode is supported by Avanos. The podcast is not and is not intended to be medical advice, which should be tailored to individual circumstances. This podcast is for information only, and we advise that you exercise your own judgment before deciding to use the information provided. Professional medical advice should be obtained before taking action. Now, today we're taking a look at quite a complex um, but really important area of navigating the National Disability Insurance Scheme in Australia or NDIS, particularly in relation to people who are on tube feeds. It's a really important area for dietitians to understand if they are going to be working with NDIS clients. So we've invited uh, Lena Brake to talk to us about her practice. And this podcast conversation is building on a webinar that we recently ran looking at navigating NDIS for tube-fed patients from both, both hospital and community perspective. Lena's an accredited practicing dietitian and founder of and lead specialist dietitian at Tube Dietitian um, in Victoria. Tube Dietitian aims to bridge the gap between hospital and home for people with feeding tubes. They have an on-call experienced dietitian service in the community. In March 2020, Tube Dietitian became an NDIS registered provider and since then have looked after more than 45 patients on home enteral nutrition. Some have been successfully weaned off a tube, others have had their feeding regimens maximised to suit their lifestyles in the community. And in addition to Tube Dietitian, Lena's about to commence a PhD to explore the experiences of adults living with a feeding tube in their carers. And I can guarantee that you will be able to feel her passion for the area through your headphones as you listen. So hi, Lena, and thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Jane. <laughs> so can you just tell us a little bit about your journey, particularly to starting your business, Tube Dietitian? What was the gap you saw and, and how did you get the jump into it? Yeah, absolutely. So for the past 11-ish years, I've been working across various acute hospitals in Melbourne, um, or actually in Victoria, because I started off in beautiful Shepparton. Um, and I just towards late 2019, I was leading up the um, home mental nutrition service at Eastern Health as a senior dietitian. And that's when NDIS, about October 2019, is when the NDIS decided that they'll start supporting tube feeding equipment and formula. Um, and when that happened, we were like, okay, great, let's decongest the system and move patients on. Uh, but it was really hard to find dietitians in the community that felt con confident and comfortable looking after people with feeding tubes. So that was the gap I saw. I saw that, unfortunately, the community in the hospitals, we've kind of hogged that skill. And um, in, as a result, our community colleagues, they were missing out on that really valuable basic bread and butter dietetics of 
how to look after someone with a feeding tube. And that's when I decided I, we need, um, I need to step out into the community and out of the hospital doors and start bridging that gap between hospital and home for people with feeding tubes. Um, and it was, it was scary at first because business, <laughs> as, as you know, is, is something we don't learn very well, especially back when I did university 12 years ago. Um, so it was really daunting looking into ABN numbers and all that sort of stuff. So, um, but I just knew that I saw the gap and I took the opportunity and just leaped at it. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think um, for a very long time, certainly in Victoria, um, home enteral nutrition funding was attached to, in fact, public hospitals, wasn't it? So that that was really the only way that anyone who was on a tube feed at home could get funding was to be attached. So, of course, it narrowed the people working in this area to public hospital dietitians. Yeah, absolutely. And even in Victoria, even anybody who's in a private hospital system, the moment they needed a feeding tube, the doctors would then refer to their public colleagues and send the patients through to the public system to get the feeding tube done. So even our private hospitals were, were lacking those opportunities um, to care for these people. And, of course, that's a burden for the patient as well because that Absolutely. means that they have to get their care from somewhere that's not necessarily convenient to them. And as we see from COVID, it's a, it's a real burden to yes. the public system that is unnecessary and these patients are often really they're quite stable on long-term enteral feeds and can be beautifully managed in the community. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you you set yourself up um, as an NDIS provider at, at the sort of outset to starting up the business. Was that an obvious choice that you had to do? So when I was when I decided that, all right, let's start this business, I thought I need a business coach, right? Um, I started looking online how to get a business coach, how to learn more about starting up a private practice. And then on the NDIS website, I was really impressed with how organized it is with, if you become an NDIS provider, we will ask you to develop a risk assessment, a complaints um, policy, a privacy policy. We'll ask you to, to, to do a basic life support training course, um, read our code of conduct docu- document and watch a few videos. And I thought, oh, maybe this is my business coach. It was just so step organized and and broken down into beautiful steps that actually helped me go, I think I'm going to use this framework to set my private practice up. So I actually used the NDIS provider guide um, to help me set up the foundations of my private practice from the very start. Um, It also allowed me to see three different types of people with disabilities. So there's three NDIS plans, people who are self-managed, plan-managed and agency-managed. And being a provider means you can see all three types of um, people on those three plans. So I thought, okay, not only does it help me organise my business from the start, but it also gives me a bigger pool of people to to work with. So, sorry, if you weren't a provider, which ones can or can't you of those three groups see if you're not a a registered provider? Yeah, if you weren't a registered provider, you cannot see the agency managed. Right. Yeah. Um, And then the other thing I felt that was really good was um, to become a provider also now two and a half or three years down the track, I've realised that becoming a provider has given me so much credibility. 
Um, so I've been I've been asked to present for various NDIS organisations which have carers and coordinators that know nothing about tube feeding. But the moment they see me on the NDIS provider portal um, as a dietitian that looks after people with feeding tubes, they contact me and say, "Can can you run a web webinar for us?" Um, so I've gotten so many opportunities to get to know coordinators and plan managers um, and support carers who are crucial people to helping you get that nutrition funding over the line for these people. Um, and I met them all through the NDIS portal after becoming a provider. So and I guess that's a, a cyclical, isn't it? Because then you still learn a lot from them, absolutely. which then makes you much more competent in developing the plans and working with the client. So yeah. you're learning from them as well, which develops your expertise. Absolutely. And they aren't clinicians, which is brilliant. Because yeah. we, especially hospital dietitians, we need to get out of medical language, abbreviations, and, and talking to coordinators and support carers really opened my eyes to breaking things down to this person needs a feeding tube to optimise their independence and well-being at home. It's not a case of to meet percent and estimated mm. energy requirements. So I, I learned a lot from them too, yeah. So when if um, you get a new referral, it's in a client who's in the NDIS um, system, what are the first steps that you go through um, when, when your, your first assessment or your first interaction with them? All right. So three key questions or things I look for the moment I get a referral. Number one, I ask the plan coordinator, um, I understand how much, how many dollars um, is in the, the person's plan dedicated to dietetic hours and hen consumables, so formula equipment. And just and who would have put that plan in? Where so would normally, that yeah, by the time they get to me in the community, that would have happened in the hospital. Right. So the hospital dietitians, and that's why it's really important as hospital dietitians to also understand the NDIS. Yep. It's yep. difficult, though, I feel for the hospitals because majority are not providers except the Royal Children's are, which are brilliant. Um, you've got Northern Health is also a provider. So their dietitians are really well-versed in ND writing up NDIS plans. But for the hospitals who aren't providers, it's difficult and I get it and I understand because they've got to learn all this NDIS paperwork when they're not actually providers and it can take time. So I'm personally happy to be contacted by hospital dietitians when they're writing up a plan and to actually help guide them. Um, but, yes, yeah, so the hospital would have, before the person's been discharged, broken down what is in the funding. And by the time they get to me, that's the first question I ask. And how much can I, how many hours can I service with right. the money you've got funded for dietetics? And please don't sell yourself short. We're really good at doing that as dietitians. Don't do things for free. You can, you should charge for traveling to and from people's homes for report writing because it is really robust for NDIS and, and time consuming for attendance at care team meetings. So I say a minimum of 20 hours needs to be dedicated to dietetics. And I make sure that there's that sort of um, hours in the plan. Is that for a 12 month? Is that yeah, the plan to set up for 12 months? Yeah, and I feel like that's the, the minimum I could normally work with. Um, and if someone comes to me, a referral comes to me and the coordinator tells me you've only got six hours, that's fine. I just say, all right, just letting you know that six hours equates to this amount of work. 
Um, so being really upfront from the start, I won't be able to attend care meetings. I won't be able to write advocacy letters. I will be able to review the person three, in the ne- um, three times in the next six months. You know, I, I give them an example of what that six hours equates to. The second thing to look for um, is nursing care. Set you, And this is my biggest tip and most important thing. It's out of our scope of practice. If you're not paid credentialed as a dietitian, you should not and are not expected to look after a broken tube, a kinked tube, an, an oozing tube, a bleeding stoma site. All right. I know a lot of community dietitians that freak out when people have feeding tubes because they think all that sort of stuff is their responsibility, but it's not. Link yourself. Make sure that the person is linked to a community nurse. There's heaps of programs out there. Um, nurse Next Door, Bolton Clark, Nutrition Nurse, Abbott Nurse, Nestle have a nursing service. And majority mm. of them are free. So make sure that once you get the referral, you ask the question of the hospital dietitian. Who's following up the tube care? Yeah. One of my, for one of my patients, it was a private surgeon. Great. That's all I needed to know. Can I have his number to his rooms? And that's all I need. So the moment I get a call about tubes broken, I go, great. I'm going to contact your surgeon. Um, and often I'm the one doing that liaison um, because, the, as you can understand, the person's quite frantic and concerned when their tube breaks and they call you first as the dietitian. And so it's important to have that other contact on hand. Yeah, and I guess it's important to remember that the tube feed is not their only issue. <laughs> They've probably yeah. got a multitude of other things that they need yes. to be and are yes. worrying about. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, just, sorry, I was just going to go back to when you talked about including travel and all those sorts of things, um, how much um, evidence in terms of reporting do you have to provide to NDIS? So can you just document 40 minutes travel time or does it need to be more specific or detailed than yeah. that? Yeah, it definitely needs to be more specific. So when you're invoicing for travel, for example, you've got to screenshot um, the GPS, so the actual distance from your primary place of business to the person's house, and you've got to screenshot that and then attach that to the invoice, um, and that's going to the person's house and then coming from their house. And the NDIS does not pay you back, um, does not pay you for travel more than 30 minutes. Right. So okay. I have I have driven. Yeah, I have driven from from Croydon to Melton, um, which is about an hour and five minutes. But I I know that I'm only going to be paid for thirty minutes of travel. Right. Um, so that's something else. It's very frustrating, and and if and I'm completely supportive of those who think I can only travel thirty minutes within my business area of practice. Um, for me, at the start of my business, I was willing to extend that and say, fine, I'll drive an extra hour. Um, free, um, just so I can build my profile yes. and build my experience in the community. But it's completely within our right to say NDIS doesn't pay me more than thirty minutes of travel. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, um, okay, so you've started sort of listing off a couple of your tips, and one is um, get you make sure your community nursing is included. Yeah. Um, what are some of your other tips for someone who might be maybe starting out in this area? Yeah. So quotes. Um, especially for hospital dietitians, often the NDIS coordinator will say, can you please write me a quote of all the equipment and formula that this person needs um, upon discharge to, to go home with a feeding tube effectively? So I then tapped into 
what what my hot tip is, which is chatting. If your person, if your person on a feeding tube has a nutrition formula with nutrition equipment, contact the nutrition company representative and say, "Can you prepare me a quote? These are the things my my patient needs from your company." And they'll do it within a few days. And it's formal. It's it's on their letterhead. The prices are up to date. Sometimes they give a bit of a discount, like a, a hospital tender price, because they know you quite well. Um, and the NDIS love it a lot more. It's a lot more accurate. Um, so get in touch with the formula company or the equipment company um, representatives. Equipment companies like Cardinal Health, Avanos, they've got all the equipment available for people with enteral feeds. Get in touch with their representative. Stay close to them. And often hospital dietitians know the reps really well because they come to the, the hospitals and visit them. For community dietitians, I know we're a little bit in the dark where we don't um, have the opportunities to meet the reps as easily as in hospitals. But reach out, you know, okay. just Google Avanos Victoria Rep. And, 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 and what them. sort of equipment are you t- would you be talking about? And, and I guess that depends on what sort of tube they've got. But yeah. uh, aside from um, a spare tube, for example, what other things might someone need at home? Because you're looking at a 12-month plan. So you'll try yeah, to cover. Absolutely. Yeah. So you got to think reusable syringes, all right? Not single-use syringes like there are at the hospitals. Reusable syringes, syringes one lasts for a week. Um, syringes of different sizes. So 60 mils, there'll be 60 mil syringe, a big diameter would be used for the feed, but then a 20 mil syringe could be used for a medication. Yep. So you've got to, you've got to know how, what type, what sizes of syringes they need. Um, extension sets. So if someone's got a Mickey, a button peg, um, they need an extension set that connects from the Mickey, from the button peg to the syringe. Right. Right. So that's an extension. Um, they need giving sets. So if they're on pump feeds, um, something to connect the pump, the bottle of enteral formula attached to the pump to the peg. They need IV poles, right? Mm. Sometimes you can hire out an IV pole um, from medical equipment companies for like 50 bucks every month. Um, or you can just buy a five, ke- five kilogram hook from Bunnings. Um, you can try and get creative, but Sometimes if it's a long-term situation, it's an overnight feed. An IV pole for, you know, is, is yeah, a nice yeah. stable thing to purchase. A pump, right? Some people want two extra pumps, one at mum's house in yes, Brisbane of course. Yeah. and one in Melbourne. Yeah. And that's perfectly fine. So, And pumps are expensive. They're about 2.5K. Yeah. Um, so what else, what other equipment can you do? So whoever's um, writing the plan really has to have a good understanding of what this person's life is going to be at home because if they're, yeah. for example, going between two different residences or yeah. I guess kids potentially might be going between different parents if they yeah. don't live together. Yeah, absolutely. So you really do need to understand that. Yeah, okay. Like, I mean, like, as a, a backpack, sometimes yeah. I've had pay, people who are wheelchair-bound that need a backpack to hold the enteral feed while they go out shopping. Right. Mm. But but look, as a community dietitian, when I receive an NDIS patient, I look at the consumables that the hospital dietitian popped in, um, the, all the equipment. And if four months down the track, I realize mm, they need a backpack and a second pump. That's when I contact the coordinator and say, um, do I need can I write up a letter to back up that we need these two extra equipment that will cost 5K? Sometimes a coordinator would say, don't worry about it. I'll pull funds from another pool and get it happening. Sometimes they'll tell me, not going to happen for another six months till we do a full plan review. Right. 
So you'll have to make do. Yeah. Um, So it's hard to predict all the equipment someone's going to need, but the basics are there. Um, But I just want to touch on another really hot tip is spare feeding tubes. If you put anything in someone's NDIS plan as a hospital or community dietitian, make sure they've got two spare feeding tubes, exactly like the one they've got in, in their plan. Just because if it kinks or breaks, which happens all the time with different support carers administering feeds, they can grab the tube, head to the local emergency department and get it popped back in very quickly. Or local GP if the GP is comfortable. And there are GPs who are comfortable doing it. Yeah, so you can basically take your tube with you and say, here, pop this in. Yeah, And you're more likely to get get a solution very quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And then you mentioned the language that we use. Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. Just- Huge. Really, really important. As I said, coordinators and carers are so good at teaching you that this doesn't make sense, Lena. Can you simplify this letter? And I, that was a lot of the feedback I used to get at the start. This is, You've got an abbreviation here. This doesn't make sense. Um, sometimes I've been as blunt as Mary. If Mary does not get her liquid specialized formula, she will die from dehydration. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes you've just got to, because the people reviewing the plans and approving them are also not clinicians. Mm. Um, so, yes, very simple English and break it down. Um, and you've you've sort of touched on um, the number of people that you need to get involved to deliver really good care. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that? Like who are the team of healthcare professionals that you gather around for this? So, for example, um, you'll often have a a community speech pathologist linked to your person, a community physiotherapist. You'll have an NDIS support coordinator and an NDIS um, support carer. And then then there's an NDIS plan manager. And there's carers, coordinators and plan managers are different professions. So just ask who's in charge of what. (laughs) Um, And I often, often the coordinator is the one that knows everything. The plan manager knows all the funding stuff. So the coordinator is a great one to get their email and say who else is involved in the care team and make contact with them. Um, Specialists, like I've got one client who's got an endocrinologist that's funded within their NDIS plan um, because the diabetes is directly linked to the disability. Um, And the endocrinologist and I are often on email contact. Um, and of course, the, the, the representatives of the formula company or the equipment company that this person is, is, is purchasing from. Really important to involve them in the team. Sometimes I even ask the rep from the companies to attend care team meetings because if, if the company from the rep from the company meets the NDIS coordinator, the NDIS coordinator will ask them all questions related to, I can't find this equipment in Victoria. How do I get it? Rather than them going to through you <laughs> to sort out equipment shortage, which is happening a lot with COVID, um, you can connect them to the company rep. So again, so, so understand the team involved. And if there's no nurse, that's when I go, right, we need a nurse. How many yep. hours we, can I can I use to connect this person to a community nurse? So understand the team early to set yourself up for success so that you don't get bombarded with Everything. Weed, yeah, weed <laughs> questions about equipment uh, shortages and tube breakage. 
Yeah. Uh, so if, if I've understood, so the NDIS from their point of view, the coordinator is the person that's actually coordinating the services, like actually yeah. on the ground, and the plan manager is actually really just overseeing the plan, the spending, all that sort yeah. of aspect. Is that right? That's my understanding as well. But again, NDIS is such a changing, and it's a yes. good thing, it's a rapidly changing interface. It really is often changing a lot. Yeah. Um, so please ask the question of the people who are involved in the person's care and coordination. Ask them whose role is it to do the monthly ordering of equipment yeah. and formula so that yeah. I could know to let you know if things change. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, yeah, it, it is yeah. an um, understanding of the nuances, isn't it, and, yeah. and the intricacies of it. So on a, a going off on a slightly different tack, I guess when we're talking about the quote and the plan, it usually would include the cost of a manufactured commercial formula, which is pretty easy to get a quote. But yeah. um, we know that homemade blended tube formulas are becoming more popular everywhere, yeah. but in Australia as well. What are your thoughts here, like both on, I guess, just quickly blenderized feeds, but also how they get incorporated into a plan? Yeah, look, it's really, really brilliant to see Australia, like the OSPEN, um, Australasian Society of Parental and Enteral Nutrition, they wrote, they've developed and released a consensus statement on homemade blended tube feeding formulas, which my heart was so happy to see because I'm very pro-person choice. I don't think blended feeds are better than commercial liquid and I don't think commercial formula is better than blended feeds. It's just whatever the, the, the person with a feeding tube wants to do, right? It's We've got to be pro-choice. And as dietitians, we're food experts and we're feeding tube experts. So it is our business to help people reach nutritional adequacy with blended tube feeds and it is possible. The problem with... Um, the funding bodies is understandably they'll see blended tube feeds as groceries and they don't pay for groceries. So how do you come around that? From my experience, I've got about four people at the moment on blended tube feeds, um, homemade. Um, one of them, we were able to get some NDIS funding for a blender. Um, for, so for the equipment used, so a blender, a mesh strainer, so for the a hand blender, um, all the all the equipment that we use for, to make the formula, we were able to go get funding for. However, the actual food, I haven't had any luck so far. And and the way you could twist it around, or not twist it around, truthfully twist it around, is NDIS is a huge advocate for independence for people with a disability. And if someone with a disability chooses to put, you know, grandma's dinner down their feeding tube and it will give them a lot of independence to have the equipment there to make it themselves, right, to, to put it through the blender and have that experience of cooking, um, that you could phrase it as this is going to optimise independence and well-being. Yes. Rather yeah. than nutritional needs are met. Oh, so, I guess, yeah, hmm. the topic of... Um... Blenderized diets is uh, another whole topic on its own, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> um, it is. Uh, and I get, you know, and I know some of the concerns, perhaps with um, dietitians, is the safety, the food hygiene, and and but I guess you know people prepare food all the time in their homes, exactly. and we're not concerned about it. But yeah, uh, when I started off, when I started off um, going, no, this is something I want to support through my private practice. I contacted Claire 
who's a clinical dietitian in Canada. Her website's called Natural Tube Feeding. She actually has a 250, I think, dollar course on how to do homemade blended tube feeds as a dietitian. And I contacted her by email and I said, look, I'm, I'm in Australia. We don't do this often, but I've started a private practice and I want to support my people to actually do this if this is what they want. How do I monitor adequacy? That's what I asked her. And she responded with the same way you would somebody eating that food through their mouth. <laughs> what, like what's the difference? <laughs> she, yeah, I, I sounded, I must have sounded so stupid, but <laughs> she was like, well, there's no difference. If someone's going to eat lentils and potato through their mouth, you would monitor adequacy the same way you would if you blended that same food and put it through a tube. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So exactly. energy levels, weight, blood test, it's the same concept. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's safe, it's possible and can be nutritionally adequate, but another topic. <laughs> yeah, um, and we'll put, you've mentioned a couple of resources there which we will add um, to the show notes for this podcast so people can go and um, explore those yes. um, at their Please. leisure. Um, another topic which I guess has really um, risen during the whole time you've had your practice is COVID um, and not so much um, the health effects but the effects on the supply chain and um, access to um, the feeds in particular. Um, has this been, have you seen this is tricky for patients where companies have actually not had stock? Absolutely. Hospitals are understandably ordering um, more than they normally would to, to, to in preparation for the COVID surges that were happening in spurts. Um, so that reduced the amount available for people at home with feeding tubes. So I was getting lots of frantic calls from coordinators um, saying we the, the website's telling us out of stock, not returning for another three months. What do we do? So I had to really come up with a nice little Excel spreadsheet is a solution to everything in life. An Excel <laughs> spreadsheet of um, this person's on this feed. What's an alternative from two, two or three other different companies? And then contact the coordinator and say, in prep for potential shortages, I'm just letting you know, these are the three formulas from three different companies, which equate in calories to the one that you, you know this person's on. And I would recommend ordering a box of each. Mm. And then you would treat the regimen the exact same because a, a two cal per meal feed is, is the same um, regimen, whether it's a, a nutrition or an Abbott or Nestle or a Fresenius formula. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, so that I felt was really helpful. And I started doing that proactively where, um, rather than reactively. The other super interesting thing is because of COVID, lots of people with a feeding tube live in service accommodation with a lot of other people. So you were never, we were never able to do home visits anymore for the last yes. and a half years. Not because this person got COVID in the house and then that person got COVID. Yeah. And so that particular disability support accommodation would be in ISO for about eight months purely yes. because they're going through the rounds of COVID. Um, so it was really frustrating. But the beauty of virtual consultations really, really shone through. Um, yeah. So, and how did you actually just uh, how did you manage um, virtual consultations, particularly for people that um, may have been living in share houses with intellectual disabilities, possibly rather than physical disabilities? Um, where they always have someone there that can facilitate virtual consultations. Yeah, there's always the carer, the one that dials in, and sometimes the carer would dial in from their carer office. 
Right. And so then now I learned to say, no, 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 no. I need you to dial in from the person's room because I want to see them. Yes. <laughs> you know, we all, it's so important and we all appreciate the new physical nutritional assessment. So looking at the temples and, and the cheekbones and, and the eye, the fat eye pads and the clavicle and the shoulder, all of these muscle and fat store sites um, are important to look through for your malnutrition assessment. So if we couldn't do it in person, I would say, please dial in from the person's room so that I could see them too. I understand we might not be able to communicate as much, but I need to actually physically see them. Um, And the other problem is as clinicians, we obviously work in private practice, but also in hospitals. So often I'd say, I I really want to come in and review this person face-to-face, but I've been to about two hospitals (laughs) in the last month working random shifts. So I don't want to put them at risk. Yeah. Um, so we'll have to do a virtual. So there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of things that changed with COVID. But, um, yeah. <laughs> and I guess it's still still changing. Still going. Like, <laughs> just when we think, oh, we're, we might be back to normal, we're not. Uh-huh. Um, so for, for dietitians who um, maybe starting out in this space, and it sounds like your learning curve over the past two years has been enormous. Um, and so I guess the purpose of, of this um, podcast and discussion is to try and perhaps provide um, new people who are working in the space with some shortcuts. Um, but what do you see as sort of the biggest the biggest barriers to dietitians or what might be the biggest fears for dietitians who want to work in this space? One thing I'm, I, I get referrals from other community dietitian saying I've just I've just picked up the phone for um and getting referred a person with a feeding tube and can I refer them on and I ask why and they tell me because I'm I'm not a clinical dietitian is the language they use and I've never I've never worked in a hospital and it just breaks my heart because we learn tube feeding in at university it's literally it's it's easier than writing up a full meal diet plan for someone with type 1 diabetes and, and high cholesterol right it's literally maths that's all it is yep. um, and so their fear of feeding tubes is the is what i feel is the biggest barrier because they haven't been in the hospital settings but again my massive advice is um, I'm very happy to be referred on these clients, but I'm also happy to mentor you and support you with the process and say, you are the expert of nutrition through a feeding tube. If you set yourself up for success by saying, I'll take this pet pet person on as long as number one, we've got, they're linked to a community nursing support, right? To help with any tube care or stoma care issues. And number two, I need the contact for their doctor. And I need to make contact with the doctor so that I've got someone, you know, to bounce ideas off. So if you set yourself up with with support that way, there's nothing to be afraid of. You can co-manage with a hospital dietitian as well. Sometimes if you're a community dietitian, you've received a referral for a feeding tube from a hospital, ask the hospital dietitian. Do you mind if I email you after the first consult just to bounce some ideas off you? I haven't seen many people with a feeding tube. Most hospital dietitians will tell you absolutely. Contact experienced community dietitians. So set yourself up for success. Jump on the DA website, look for mentors in the area. Jump on the Dietitian Connection Facebook page and look for mentors in the area. A lot of people will be happy to answer a quick phone call to say, this is what I would do. If someone's potassium is high, they're on a feeding formula um, 
and they're on bolus feeds, but the new formula that you need to switch them on only works with a pump feed. This is what this is how I would go about it. Right? You just you've just brought up a, a thought to me when you mentioned potassium. How often does someone in the home who's on tube feeds actually have biochem done? Yeah, really good question. It depends on the person. So if, for example, they've had a feeding tube in because they had a stroke about a year ago and now they're fully medically stable and there's no issues, they'll probably never get bloods done until you prompt the GP. Um, But if someone's got obviously kidney disease or diabetes um, or high cholesterol levels, then you often find that their GP is pretty onto it. I'd probably say every six, three to six months, I've seen people with bloods. Um, And sometimes I just email the GP or the specialist um, and I send them a list of all the bloods and say, look, I haven't seen bloods on this person for about eight months. I'm very keen to know what their body's doing inside. Can Can you order some iron, B12, folate, vitamin D, lipids, um, renal function, um, and salts. Can you order these seven bloods? Which, and I guess another good reason to um, be in a team with the doctor so that you can easily just say, because I think dietitians, as you said, you know, they don't see themselves maybe in the community as clinical dietitians. They haven't done a lot of work here, but um, we need to remember that we are still the experts in this area and you're going to know way more than the GP about someone who's on tube feeding, even if it is only from your placement at university. Um, So, yeah, that's a a good point. Um, So just finally, Lena, um, what what would your take-home message be for a dietitian who does want to work in this area or may not necessarily want to work in it but is a community dietitian and we're seeing more of these clients come their way? What's your sort of take-home message for them? Um, I've said this several times throughout the podcast, um, but be resourceful and set yourself up for success. So don't refuse a referral immediately. Reach out. In a hospital, people, other clinicians are at an arm's length away. In the community, you've got to be resourceful and dig them out. So dig them out. Find out who's who else is in the care team for this person that's being referred to you and make connections. All right, so that it's really important. Um, and that's inclusive of the company representatives for the formula and the equipment. And my other take-home message is a bit controversial, but I believe in it. Fake <laughs> it till you make it. <laughs> I know a lot of people might disagree, especially some dietitians who might feel it's um, who are a bit more conservative than me, but I'm a risk taker. And I say, fake it till you make it. Learn with the person, <laughs> learn with the coordinator. Sometimes I tell like my very first blended home tube feed patient. Um, she was very lovely. And I said to her, look, I'm going to be flat out honest with you. You're my guinea pig right now. Because as a hospital dietitian for 11 years, I've been telling people, nah, we don't do blended tube feeds. It's, it's, it's against the law. We don't do it. It's not safe. So I said, dude, that, that's been my motto, but now I want to change and I'm learning through you. So I'm just letting you know I'm learning through you. And I told her that I've made connection with a with a blended tube feed dietitian in Canada who's super experienced. I sent her the website and I said to her, us three, we can do this, right? I'm being mentored by somebody, by the way. So fake it till you make it, but be truthful about it, right? Yeah, and, and I think and- you have to recognise that the the client themselves, it's probably all new to them as well. Um, so they're probably happy to have someone who is kind of working through it. And NDIS, as we know, as you've mentioned, is a changeable Changing beast. landscape. So, yeah. yeah, so there's never going to be 
an expert in it, I don't think, because you just have to keep watching it and moving with yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lena, you've given us such great pointers today about NDIS. And as I said, if anyone wants more information, they can firstly, they can access the webinar um, that you're involved in um, for Dietitian Connection with a dietitian from the Children's Hospital here in um, Victoria. Um, we'll have a link to that um, in our show notes and we'll also put the link to some of the resources that you've mentioned. We'd like to um, thank uh, Avanos for supporting this podcast episode um, and thank Lena for sharing all of that invaluable knowledge and experience with us. And if anyone's listening and has any ideas or suggestions about topics or guests that you'd like to hear from or about for these podcasts, please um, leave us a review with your suggestions. We'd love to hear from you. So again, thank you so much for your time today, Lena. We really appreciate it. I loved hearing from you. Thank you so much, Jane. Have a lovely day. (laughs) To get all of the links and resources we discussed in this episode, you can go to dietitianconnection.com slash podcasts. And if you'd like to support the Dietitian Connection podcast, please leave a review and a rating on the Apple Podcasts app. Tell us what you thought of this episode, what you learnt, and share your guest requests for us to consider for future episodes. We value hearing from you and we really appreciate your feedback. So please, please hit that review button.